Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. You know, as a pastor, very few things just kind of get me surprised and rattled, um, especially on Sunday morning. But I had one just a few minutes ago uh, that made me laugh. And I thought, hey, why not tell everybody about it? I was up on the student ministry hall. I was doing the Lord's Supper uh, with classic service. And one of the students came walking out of the cafe and I was like, hey, good morning. And they looked me dead in the face and said, I don't know you. <laughs> I love it. I loved it. It was like, <laughs> why are you talking to me? Uh, I love it. So I introduced myself to him, and it was fabulous. Uh, by the way, if I don't know you, my name is Matt. Uh, I, uh, I get to work here, and it's, it's really a cool place to work. Uh, so thanks for having me this morning. Uh, that's great. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been walking through uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we have been watching Luke just give us some wisdom from the Master. So we've kind of named this series all around the teachings and the event of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And we said we're going to be marching through a lot of the things from Luke. And when you study Luke, and I mean actually all of the Gospels, one of the things you see and that you realize when you see all these miraculous things that Jesus does is you have to realize that those miraculous things take miraculous power. They take this huge power. And the reality is, it's not a power that any mere man can possess. It's not even a power that a little G God can possess. The reality is, these things that we're watching can only be done by God. In this morning's account, I absolute love how this account shows the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus, and actually the whole book of Luke. When we started this series, I challenged you, if you could, to maybe spend every week looking through a, maybe a chapter and a half of Luke. And if you've done that, you have been watching the power of God. In Jesus' birth, we saw the power of God. We saw the angels and the Magi and Mary and Joseph see the power that is in this child. We watched the disciples see the power of Jesus, and they're drawn to this power. We saw Satan even get to see this power when Jesus was tempted in the desert already and then we get to see all these many people who are healed and cured and demons are cast out and Jesus is displaying his power well this morning's event we are going to show Jesus has even power over the wind the waves and the storms and I love this view of Jesus because it shows us that he even has power over the planet he has power over the planet. So here's what I want to do today. I want you to ask yourself all through this message, how am I going to respond to that kind of power? If you have a copy of scripture, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 today. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to land today. And as you're finding that, I want to show you a couple of artistic paintings of the story that we're going to look at today of Jesus calming the storm. I just know that sometimes a mental image helps burn things into our mind. Here's the first one I want to show you. This is Rembrandt's uh, rendition of the storm. It's Rembrandt gave us this kind of picture that was in his mind as an artist of the disciples are in the boat, the sail is being ripped, Jesus is in the bottom in the very back, and they're all in this incredible 
panic moment. I don't know who this guy is on the far left, kind of in the middle, but it looks like he's just floating in air and about to take a dive into the ocean. But you can just see the terror, the fear, the might of the water and the waves. And in my mind, I've always pictured this event with this mindset until this week. And I saw another painting of this event. Here's the second one I want to show you. The second rendition is Jesus after he calmed the storm. You see, many of us, we love to see this through the eyes of just the absolute mayhem. But I want to challenge you today to change your mindset a little bit in this event and let's see it like this. Now, let's talk about this for a minute because I love it. I'm no art critic, but I love the fact that they're putting the sail back up. They're ready to travel with Jesus. I don't know who that is on his knees at the front with kind of hands in the air to Jesus. But you know, he's like, I don't even know what to say right now because this guy is God. God. The other guy's like, hey, come over here and let's just look in awe. And then he got the one random in the back, like still bailing water. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, if Jesus can take care of the storm, I don't know why he keep bailing water, but we're going to give him a pass on that. But I love the calmness. I love the reverence. I love the awe that is in their faces and everybody is struck by that God is in the boat with them. God is in the boat. And that's what this story is about to show us that Jesus, after he stills the storm, the disciples are in absolute awe and absolute reverent fear and they're surrendering, they're loving on who Jesus is. Now, stick with me for a second because I want you to let this sink in. The disciples had already seen Jesus heal people. They'd already seen Jesus literally raise someone from the dead. They saw him teach people. But now they're seeing Jesus with power over everything on this planet, which is an incredible timely illustration for them. First of all, because they're already in a boat, right? I mean, it's timely for them to see this. They're in the boat, they're on the water. Jesus is showing them that they're God. But this is also not just a timely illustration. It's a timeless illustration. Go with me for a minute, because think about this. No matter how far technology advances, we're never going to control the weather. We're not. But what is the Bible showing us here? 2,000 years ago, it is showing us that we are no better at controlling the weather today as we were back then. But God can because he is all powerful. You know at the moment that Jesus did this, that their love and their trust level went through the roof. You know it when he did this, their fear level exploded because they are realizing this is no mere man. So here's the question for the morning. Write it down in your notes. Do I have a healthy fear and love for Jesus? Do I have a healthy fear and love for for Jesus. Now, don't let one of those slide. There is fear and there is love. And here is what I'm proposing this morning through scripture. Both of them have to be present if we're going to be a maturing follower of Jesus Christ. They have to be. And they run congruently. We're going to walk through the story this morning and we're going to see how God can and will storm, still the storms in our lives. And we're going to see how we have to live with this incredibly reverent fear, but this incredibly intimate love for who he is. Luke chapter 8 follows the same story that Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4 
follows. All three of those gospel writers give us this account. I'm gonna weave in some information from the others to help us tell this story and get it to stick in our minds. And I think this is one of the most underrated miracles in the whole Bible because it is incredible. So we're gonna watch this healthy fear and how we should respond to Jesus in our life. Luke 8, verse 22, here's what it says. It says, one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Now we're gonna kind of walk through this line by line. Now, Luke doesn't tell us, but Matthew and Mark tell us that this is the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, if you would. It's the same one, depending upon who is talking. It's the same lake. Now, on one side of this lake and on the top was Jewish territory. On the other side was Gentile territory. These guys are in the boat heading to and toward the other side. We're gonna see that next week in our story. Now, they could have walked across the top. They were in Galilee. They could have taken a little stroll over to the Gerasenes. We're gonna see that next week. But Jesus wanted them to go in the boat. Couple of reasons. Number one, there was this huge crowd that was following them and Jesus Jesus knew that if they could escape into the boat, that they could get a little bit of a rest time. The paparazzi was out, right? Kind of gives you a mindset of what's going on. They could get away from people a little bit. They could have a rest time on the way to where Jesus had their next appointment already set up, right? But also Jesus knew that he wanted to teach them something. This is no happenstance that this is happening. Nothing happens in the disciples' life or Jesus' life that was not filtered through a plan that Jesus already had in place. So they're in the boat already, and Luke says this one day. Now, Luke doesn't give us any indication of what this day had, but if you go back to the other gospel writers, you'll see that this day was not just a regular day. Jesus had taught from sunup to sundown. He had taught many parables. In fact, he taught so many, he kind of got frustrated that the people weren't following him how he thought they should be following him. On top of that, at the evening time, he got frustrated and he backed off, ended up in a disciple's house teaching them what the Bible says, and I quote, many more things. So he continued to teach. That evening, Jesus decided, hey, I gotta break this party up. We have got to get to the other side. I got an appointment with a demon man later on next week, and we've gotta get over there. So he tells them, we're get in the boat and let's go. But we also gotta see that, that Jesus is tired. He's gassed from the day. You say, what? Jesus is tired? Yeah, he's tired. I mean, it's one thing to dig a ditch and get tired, amen? That is tiring. But some of you know this, it is another thing to literally teach from sunup to sundown, answering people's questions, debating people's issues, and healing people all day long. You probably don't know that one, but you might. But you know Jesus is tired. He's gassed in this moment. It'll wear you out mentally, physically, emotionally. I am going home probably to take a nap today. It's just how it worked in Jesus' life. He's tired. But but in our minds, isn't it hard to see Jesus as being tired? But he is. Why? Because he is fully man. Listen, this is not part of the message, but it hit me this morning. Jesus gets it when you're just gassed. He does. He understands. 
Jesus understands when you are just worn out. And actually, he might even say to you, one of the best things that you can do for your discipleship career is to take a good nap, right? That is what we're about to see Jesus do in the story. He's tired. Verse 22. So they got into the boat, they set out, and as they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep. Not only is he tired, now he's snoozing, right? He is out in the boat, to which I can attest that is a great place to sleep. Amen? A little rocking in the boat, I am going to sleep. He's asleep. By the way, for you Bible trivia people, you might need this at some point. It's the only place in the Bible that it describes Jesus sleeping right here. But he slept every night, all right? He, well, except for the night he was praying. He was God, but he was man. He slept. The Greek here points to not just a little nap. The Greek here says that he is in a deep sleep of exhaustion. He's done. He is wore out. It's kind of like going on a mission trip with the students here, right? You're there for two weeks. You are working. You're working. You're working. You get on that airplane, coming back home, and it looked like somebody gassed the plane. I mean, everybody on the plane, before the wheels are off the ground, are totally slobbering on themselves, out asleep. So they tell me, because I'm right there with them. That is what is happening right here. He is on the boat. He's asleep, but he's the guest of honor, which means they would have had a pad on the back of the boat somewhere. Mark tells us he has a pillow and he's out. The son of God, Jesus, in his human body, go with me, is exhausted. He's sleeping. But Jesus in his divine nature goes to sleep, catch this, even though he knows the storm is about to hit. Now that's important right there. He goes to sleep knowing that he has already called the storm to come onto their location. Why? Because he knows that he's God. And he knows at any minute when the storm comes that he can wake up and he can steal the storm and he can show these boys in the boat that he is God and they should love him. Keep reading. I love it. Verse 23. Watch this. A squall came down on the lake. So the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Now look, this is no Lake Altoona thunderstorm. All right, that is not what's happening right here. The Greek word that is used here is where we get our word, the, the word for squall is where we get our word hurricane. This is a massive storm. In fact, in Matthew 8, 24, when Matthew tells us, he says that it is a seismos megos. Now you can translate that in Greek, all right? You're a Greek scholar. That just means a, magad, a magnetic, huge, mega, seismic storm that is booming down out of the mountains. That's what it literally means. Luke says it came down out of the mountains. Now, why would that be important? Well, if you know where, Lake, where the Sea of Galilee is, you know this is what happens. The Sea of Galilee, let's talk about it for a minute. The Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. It is the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. The mountains that surround this sea, some of them, Mount Hermon, reaches 9,200 feet. Now here's what happens for those of you who love the Weather Channel. What happens is the cold air that rushes off the mountains, rushes down the mountains through the valley, hits the Mediterranean warm air in the bottom of this little valley below sea level. And because the Sea of Galilee is so shallow, the warm air is being hit by the cold air and it rises up storms that are absolutely incredible. In fact, some homework today, go home and YouTube later, go home and YouTube 
Sea of Galilee storms. And watch what happens on this lake. It goes from complete calm. We took our trip to Israel last year. We were on the Sea of Galilee and it was 100% glass. But in five minutes, it can be 10 foot waves. Even to this day, that's what's happening in these waters. And the disciples are panicked, which says a lot if you know who the disciples are, right? Why? Because the disciples are fishermen that are from this area. They grew up on this water. They were pros at being on the sea. They were fishermen. They're no weekend warriors that are out there getting scared like we are, right? When the waves get going. This is Captain Sig and Deadliest Catch panicking a little bit. That's exactly what we're seeing. Those of you who didn't get that, ask someone else. Here it is. At a glance, it seems like this story is a little bit ironic, right? That these guys are in great danger, that the, the disciples are absolutely in danger, and the Savior, Jesus, is sleeping in the boat. It seems so ironic till you see what happens and the lesson that Jesus wants to teach them and teach us. Keep going in the story, verse 24. It says, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. Now, in my mind, this, is, this ain't the Bible, right? But in my mind, I can just see him over there going, all right, who's gonna tell him? All right, who's gonna wake him? He's not gonna be happy if you wake him. He said he was tired. I could see it probably being Andrew because he was kind of the one that was always getting that stuff. I could just see him just sneaking over to Jesus a little bit. It's not the Bible, but I could just see him sneaking over here to Jesus going, hey, um, excuse me, Jesus. Um, I, I know you're resting. Uh, I know you got like rest going, but we're gonna die. Uh, we, 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 we need you to do something. Is that how the story went? <laughs> no, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible, if you read this, he says, master, master, we are going to die. Listen, there's passion in those words. You might not see it, but there is. There's emotion, there's panic, there's fear. And in fact, if you read every account of the story, you will see that all the disciples are screaming at once to Jesus. In fact, Mark uses the idea where all, what he is hearing is, teacher, do you know that we're perishing? He's like, you better do something. The ship is going down. Matthew uses the word Lord. He's like, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. Luke uses the word master. Does that mean the Bible made a mistake when one's thinking it says teacher, one says Lord, one says it's master? No, that means that pandemonium is going down and that's what they're remembering is happening. Everybody is screaming out to Jesus because they're freaking out in fear. And I'm sure there's some other sailor words that are being thrown at this very moment in their lives. He wanted to show them something not in the Bible. I can just sense it though. Jesus being woke up and in my mind, he smirks a little bit. I don't know why, but he does. <laughs> he has a little smirk in my mind. It's not in the Bible. It's in my mind because he knows they're walking into the lesson that he wants to teach them in this very moment. They're walking into it and watch what he wants to teach them. Watch verse 24. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waters the storm subsided and all was calm. Now there's a whole lot right here. Watch closely. Jesus from the, from the seat of authority, right? The pad of authority on the back of the boat. He stands up and I can just see him. I don't know if he did that with his hands, but in my mind he did. I can just see him say, whoa, be still. And he calms everything. 
And what does it say he did? He rebukes the wind, the water, and the storm. Now, rebuke in Greek is the same as it is in English. It literally just means to call out something that is under you. If you have an employee that is messing up and you need to correct them, you are rebuking them. If you have a son or a daughter, probably not us, but other churches that is not doing well at the moment and you need to correct them, you are rebuking them. Jesus rebukes the weather weather like a rowdy toddler, right? He has no big words, no magic formula, no like wand or anything. He just stills the storm and if you think about it through a skeptic's mind I mean when he heals people they're going yeah but modern medicine does that you know when he raises people from the dead they're like yeah but kind of CPR and those little electric paddles they they do that for people but no one not even in a skeptic's mind can do what he's doing right here even in 2022 he's staying the storm nobody can do that but God but even to get a little bit better I don't know if you caught it or not But not only did Jesus steal the storm, he did it immediately, immediately. Think about it like this. He sends away the wind, he sends away the clouds, sends away the rain, sends all that away, and at an instant, he makes the sea go back to calm and glass. Now look, that doesn't happen. I don't know if you've ever been in a storm. It takes a little bit for the waves to go away. Just modern physics tells you that. But Jesus said, hey, just to show you that I'm in control and that I did this, I am gonna make every bit of this go away in an instant, which is what he can do in all of our lives. In one instant. He turns and he stills it. Then watch what Jesus says. This is my favorite part, verse 25. He says to the disciples, he says, where is your faith? He asked the disciples. Now that's the question we've got to ask every single day. In fact, write this question down. You gotta ask this every day. God, where is my faith today? Where's my faith today? Another way to put this is, God, what am I placing my faith in right now? Man, what if that was your driving to work question every morning, every day? God, I got this going on, I got this going on, I got all this going on. But God, what is it that I'm gonna hang my faith on today? You know, in the story, back to the story, you know the disciples were scared. I mean, come on, this was a seismic event in their life. You know they were scared when the storm hit. We saw that, right? But I want you to see something real closely. I want, and we're going to spend a minute talk about it because it's going to show us our posture of what it should be to Jesus. They're scared when the storm hit. But I want you to see verse 25, after Jesus stilled the storm. Watch. In fear, verse 25, in fear and amazement. Circle those two words. We could have done the whole morning with those words right there. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this. He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now watch the details. Jesus calms the sea, right? They are freaking out. He calms the sea. But now, if you read it closely, and if you read through Mark's account, you will see that they are more fearful now than they were before Jesus calmed the sea. But it's a different kind of fear. It is a fear of reverence. It is a fear and amazement of who it is that they are standing in the presence of. Look, it was a fear when the storm was hitting, right? Their life was on the line. They thought they were gonna die. But now their fear elevates a little bit. Why? Because there's a greater fear when we're standing in the presence of Jesus 
But the difference is that's a healthy fear. You do know that it is healthy for you to fear Jesus. Not out of a terrified fear, but out of a holy reverence and awe and respect. See, in fear and amazement, they asked, who is this guy? He sleeps when we're in trouble. He wakes and calms the storm. He doesn't call on anybody else to do this. Who is this? And it's easy for us to answer, this is God. It's God. And listen, real close, if the weather obey him, if the storm obeys him, if sickness and death obeys Jesus, then who am I to not live my life in fear and amazement and submission to the one that has saved my soul? That's the point of the whole story. That's the point. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna give you, the, the point to this miracle is that he is worth fearing and holding in reverence. But I wanna give you some things about fear this morning that'll help you and I understand the story. Here's number one. I just want you to see this. This can elevate your faith and elevate your trust in Jesus. Number one, I want you to see this. There is a good and necessary kind of fear. There is a good and necessary kind of fear. Contrary to what some people think, the New Testament does not cancel out us fearing God. It doesn't. Now I know a lot of us, we live like it because we think we're covered in grace and we no longer have to fear God. But there is a difference here. The fear of God now is us living in the all, the A-W-E of who God is. I mean, here's the deal. How can you really understand the power of Jesus and not feel that kind of healthy fear? You can't. It's the point of the story. One of the best examples of this that I thought of this week in all of scripture is in Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one, obviously it is, it is, a, it is a vision given to the apostle John of, of the book of Revelation. It is, a, it is a warning for us. It is a message to us. Revelation chapter one is where John meets the glorified, the fully glorified Jesus. Remember that? John comes into his presence. Now, if you remember a whole lot about John and Jesus, John was Jesus's BFF when they're on this planet, right? They were always together. He was in the inner circle. I mean, actually, John even had the audacity to call himself the one in whom Jesus loved. That takes some guts right there to write that down in the Bible. But John does, right? He writes it many times. John is the one who reclined on Jesus' chest at the Lord's Supper. Now, that, look, that's a close friend. I got some close friends, but that ain't happening in my friendships right now, right? That was Jesus and John. Now, when Jesus and John have this encounter, when John meets the glorified Jesus, how does John meet Jesus? Does he run up to him and give him a bro hug? I mean, does he give him a fist bump? Does he say, hi, how are you? Shake his hand. Let me give you John's own words. Revelation 1.17, watch the, watch the meeting Here's what John says, when I saw him, that's Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet as though dead. Now look, that's not a figure of speech. When John saw the glorified Jesus, he thought he was going to die. He was in the presence of the glorified Jesus. I mean, look, I feel like we have lost this concept of fearing God. I feel like we've lost it in our churches. I feel like we've lost it in our worship. I feel like now Jesus is just this homeboy. He's our pal. He's the shepherd that snuggles up to us, right? With the long flowy locked hair, with a baby in his hand. I feel like that's all that we see Jesus is. 
I mean, here's the deal. So, so as a result of that, we just kind of halfway sing worship. We halfway read and consume the Bible. We halfway devote ourselves to the body of Christ and we sing songs about his presence. But here's the deal. What if Jesus actually showed up in his full power? What would be our response? I guarantee you it wouldn't be, hey, Jesus, what you up to, buddy? No, it would be, whoa on our faces born. You know when you picture yourself busting through the gates of heaven, running up to Jesus, giving him, no, 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 no. It is in full reference, in full respect, on our faces before the king. Have you ever thought possibly the reason that God doesn't blow us away with the spirit every week when we come together in his presence is because none of us really desire it? You ever thought about that? And we don't have a healthy fear for Jesus. Look, church, Jesus rebuked the wind and it obeyed him. He commanded the sickness and it came out of people. He spoke to demons. We're gonna see that. And they surrendered. So who am I to be flippant about disobeying Jesus? That's the point of the story. But man, people in churches do it every single week. We think things like, yeah, I know that's what Jesus wants, but I got this thing going on right now. I know that's what Jesus wants, but I'll get serious about that when I get a little bit older. I know that's what Jesus wants, but I got so much going on with, with work and so much going on with the kids and the sports deal. I'll get serious about that later. Or how about this? You know what? I just kind of prefer my own sexual preference and not what God has called me to live. That's the point. Do you realize who you're talking to when you say that? He's the one that stands up in the boat with one word and controls everything around him and he's the one who wants to give you life that's Jesus Luke says the disciples looked at him with this great awe and this great fear and that is the starting point to our love and devotion for Christ number one there's a good and necessary fear but number two fear does not drive out love this one's quick but it's important I want you to see this fear doesn't drive love out in other words, they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, they work congruently together to make each of them more strong. You see, whenever you talk about fearing God, people will always object and say something like, well, we're not supposed to fear Jesus. I mean, he is meek and he's tender and he's peaceful. He puts kids on his laps for goodness sake. And yes, he is all those things. But here's the deal. When we have a healthy all and fear for who Jesus is. It makes all of those things even better. Do you know why? Because we see power under restraint. Power under restraint. So Matt, what is power under restraint? Power under restraint is when Jesus went to the cross and instead of calling down legions of angels to take care of all the people that came in his contact, he submitted himself to the bloody cross, which is what I deserved and you deserve, which is the hell that we all deserve, and he gave his life for me. And now when I see that power under restraint for me that now gives me access to the kingdom of God, my love and my respect all meet in the middle for who Jesus is. That's what he's talking about. True worship and true devotion is a mixture of fear and love. It's a mixture of both. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one and not the other. We could say that intimacy grows from our all of who God is. Why? Because all is us looking at the power and the bigness. Intimacy of God is us realizing that he has paid the price for us, this is Romans 8. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ, Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives us life has set you free. Here's the principle. True worship and devotion is a mixture of fear and intimacy. It's a mixture of both. And true disciples have both. Here's the deal. One without the other will not work. It can't. If you have a fear of God, but you have no intimacy and love of God, that's just gonna make you a brash religious person. That's all it's gonna do. There's no warmth, there's no closeness. But on the flip side of that, if you have an intimacy, quote unquote, but you don't fear God, here's what that's gonna do for you. It's gonna make you casual in your faith. Your obedience is always gonna lack. Your comprehending and compromising of God's truth is always gonna be present. And there's gonna be no passion for the worship and being involved with the local body of Christ. It is not going to happen. Both have to be present. Fear doesn't drive out love. And here's number three. Number three, fear principle. When we rightfully fear Jesus, we have no need to fear anything else. Man, this is my favorite one right here. When we rightfully fear Jesus, we have no need to fear anything else. Why? Because when you realize how powerful Jesus is, when you realize how much Jesus wants to be with you, and when you realize that Jesus is in your boat, you realize that no matter what this life throws at you, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. You're not gonna be afraid of anything else. You see, in this event, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. We saw that, right? But in a sense, you can kind of feel him looking at the disciples and rebuking them as well. You can kind of feel that. But what would that rebuke be? Because when you think about it, I mean, their fear was a little bit legit, right? I mean, when you're about to die, it's okay to be a little bit scared, right? But what was Jesus saying to them? Jesus says, hey, listen, if I'm in the boat, you're gonna be okay. That's what he says. If I'm in the boat, here's what he said, your fears are irrational. If I'm in the boat, Jesus says, even, here goes to the extreme, even your fear of death is irrational. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. If Jesus, and catch this, if Jesus was in this boat, was he gonna let this boat sink? Think about that one for a minute. No. Why? He had to go to the cross. He had already told him he was going to the cross. This boat was not going to sink. Same is true for our lives. If Jesus is in the boat, our boat is not going to sink. You see, here's the deal. Because the, because the disciples didn't understand the power that Jesus had over the storm, they feared the storm. Because they didn't understand but, but if they would have feared Jesus and understood his power more, they would not have been afraid. There would have been no worry in their lives. You do know that worry only comes from two places in a believer's life. So let me give them to you real fast. Number one, fear and worry comes from forgetting the power of Jesus. And that's a legit deal. We forget the power of Jesus. We're human, we forget things. But number two, it comes from doubting Jesus's commitment to us in the storm. That's the only places that fear and worry can come from in a believer's life. So next time you start worrying about something, am I forgetting the power of Jesus or am I doubting Jesus' commitment to me? It's gotta be one of the two. And, and here's the point of this. The point of this that Luke is using and Jesus is using is this. There's a storm coming. That's the point. I can almost promise you that you are one of three people in this room. 
Number one, you're a person that you have just come out of a storm. Number two, you are a person that is in the middle of a storm. Or number three, you are a person that is stepping in to a storm. It is the rhythm of our lives, isn't it, amen? That's where we live. We're either in one, we're coming out of one, or we're about to get into one. So Luke tells us this story to show us that, hey, if the water's filling and the bills are mounting, the marriage is climbing, the problems in our kid's life, there's issues at work, all this stuff has happened, how am I gonna make it? I'm gonna make it by knowing that Jesus is in the boat. That's how I'm gonna make it. But here's the problem. Most of us, or a lot of us, we live like Jesus is just sleeping. And we'll even say that to him sometimes. God, I don't know why you won't do something right here. So let me finish this with four incredible truths that I want you to bank on this week that'll help you in the storm. Number one, four reminders. Number one, Jesus' promise is with you. It's with you. It's what the story shows us, right? You say, what do you, how, how would you know that? Well, in verse 22, we didn't spend any time on it, but in verse 22, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to them, we are going to the other side of this lake. And listen, when Jesus says you're going somewhere, you're gonna get there. Jesus' promise is over your life. Does it mean there's not gonna be storms? No, no, that's not what it means. But here's what it does mean. His promise is in your life. His promise to sustain you, his promise to keep you, his promise to love you, his promise to save you. And no matter what this world throws at you, his promise is in your life. His promise was for them, his promise is for us. We can hold on to the promises of who Jesus is. Number two, Jesus' presence is with you. If his promise is good, his presence is great. Do you know why? Because he's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. He's not gonna walk away from you. He's not gonna jump out of the boat when you're not looking. If you have given your life to Jesus, his presence is in your life. Now for these guys, it was a little bit evident, right? Yeah, that's the dude sleeping in the back of the boat. But for us, it's the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. It's dwelling in us. And now when we live with full awe or, or fear of who God is, healthy fear. And when we live in full intimacy of who God is, now we are looking at him and we're saying, Jesus, I know you're with me. And I know you're not alone. And that is us being awoken to who he is. His promise is with you. His presence is with you. The story showed us that. So, as a result, number three, Jesus' power is with you. His power is with you. So not me, Matt. Oh, yeah. If Christ is in your life, his power is in your life. The same power that calmed the storm, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is available to you. How? When we live in awe and intimacy. When we live with full respect and full love, his power channels through our life. Look, you need to hear this. You don't have to do this on your own. You do realize they were swamped on their own. And that's how a whole lot of our lives are. I know it. Man, I live right where I live right where you are. It's the power of God, the power of Jesus that can get us through it promises with you, the presence is with you, the power is with you.
just because we're good Baptists, Jesus' peace is with you. His peace is with you. Now this is one that every single one of us needs to take a breath on. That the peace of Christ can rule and rest in your life. It can. No matter what is happening around you, the peace of Jesus. You know Jesus has got some peace. He's asleep in a storm. Amen? He is out and the boat is about to sink. And look, and if Jesus is resting in the storm, that's a good indicator for those of us that know Jesus that we can rest in him. We can rest in him. We started with this question. Do I have a healthy fear and love for Jesus? And listen, this week, man, would you please spend some time saying, Jesus, where am I? Where am I? Am I my reverence, fear in all of you? Am I treating you like you are the authority? And am I loving you like you have loved me? Have you woken up the power of Jesus in your life? Because sometimes that's what he's waiting on, just for us to ask. You know the real people who were woken up in this story? Yeah, it was Jesus physically, but it was really the disciples in their faith. So this week, ask yourself, do I have a reverence for Christ or am I just flippant in my faith? Lord Jesus, God, this morning as, as we walk into this moment of decision, God, I'm just praying that you move in our souls. God, I know these guys in the boat were changed forever. In fact, we see that through all of the gospels that these people built your church because they knew you were God. But Lord, I'm just not sure sometimes we live up to that expectation. God, show us today that we should live with full reverence for you, fear for you, but also show us that our love and intimacy flows out of us knowing who you are, Lord Jesus. God, if there's somebody in this room that needs to get saved today and give your heart, their heart to you, I pray during these next couple of minutes you save them. God, lead them to just step out from their seats. I'll come out to the corner of this room where the next step sign is and just look at me and say, I need Jesus today to move in my heart. God, you'll save them. You'll give them life. You'll come into their hearts, forgive them of their sins. They gotta take that step. Gotta pray for others today that are just dealing with some heavy heaviness, God. There's some storms going on in families in this church. God, just show them today that you are there to be called on. God, I pray that even today they may step out from where they are and look at one of us and just say, hey, would you just pray with me today? Move in our hearts, Jesus. Move in this church, Jesus. We may live with honor and love. It's in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. 
Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burn Hickory app.